Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Tub. I think we're going live. Hey, we're live. Hey-o. I'm, I'm preparing these. Oh, we, lo- we lost BB in the moment that we go live. Alrighty. I prepared these earlier now, so it's 10.30 a.m. on the uh, West Coast. It's 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. This is Value After Hours. And uh, I'm joined. Here he goes. Come back in. <laughs> Jake, Jake Taylor is definitely here. And uh, Bill Bruce is going to join us momentarily. What's the haps, fellas? <laughs> He's back. <laughs> what, uh, Toby, what do you got on deck for us today? Uh, value spread. Sorry, team. Value spreads as wide as it's ever been. That's growth over value in the S&P 500. Uh, the... Um, there's a little bit of research that it's updated. It's updated every now and again. This, this, the research is old. The spread is new. The research is from 2020, February 2020, just showing that there's a relationship. The wider the spread, the better performance of value over growth. The tighter the spread, you know, naturally, that's. I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're we're yet to see it, but we're yet to see it this time. And we said a little bit. We maybe had a year of like pretty good value performance, I'd say. But basically, the spread is still extremely wide in the S&P 500. And typically, that indicates pretty good performance value, but we can get into that in due course. What, what do you got, uh, Bill? I've been reading some Malbosin, Mabasan. Yes. How do I say his last name? Mobison. Mobison. So I'll probably riff on Think Twice a little bit. Mm. What do you okay, got, Jack? Then I'll say it, and then I'll think twice about whether or not what I said was smart. <laughs> <laughs> regret That's, it yeah it's yeah. Like catch 22 uh as my background would indicate uh, i've got a little segment on fly fishing that uh is is uh might be a little fun we'll see was that a stocked pond how dare you yeah uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a good size fish man yeah it was stocked i knew it that's a, that's a rainbow trout right there just just from eyeballing it Yes, it is. Did they have those where you grew up, Toby? No, I had to. I had to ask Jake before we came on. I, I, I would have said it was a bass or something like that, mate. I got no idea. Yeah, no, I know because you were in the middle of the desert, if I recall I'm correctly. Not a fishing guy, the kind of fish that we used to catch were the ones that they, you know, they bury themselves in mud and they uh, they just wait seven years for some rain to come along. And every now and again, when the rain comes on, the mud skippers pop out. I don't think you can eat them. We, we, we went fishing for yabbies, which is kind of like a little crawfish or something like that. Huh. You, take, you take a bit of meat on the, end of a, on the end of a string and you put it on the edge of a really smelly little swamp and they kind of grab on and you, you whip them out. And then you've you got to put them in, in clear water because they pump out a whole lot of mud inside them. Oh, God. Do you end I up guess, eating them after? Well, we did. Yeah, it's probably why my, why my like immune system's so robust. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing has a chance against you. I like uh, that. Should we, what should we do? Should we kick off with value spread? Yeah. That's not Why like not? a good idea. So uh, I, I, tw- I retweeted this this morning. It's a little, um, it's a, just a, just a, it's just showing the spread of the value uh, of growth over value. And it runs back to about the early or mid 1990s. So you capture that first, big ramp it was the dot-com bubble that kind of fell back a little bit and then it rallied all the way back um yeah it is barramundi jim that's exactly right uh we do we did fish for the barramundi on i like barramundi i've had barramundi uh, it tastes like sand it tastes like the bottom of the ocean it tastes like the bottom of the river that really in. yeah oh i liked it <laughs> maybe it wasn't barramundi maybe it was just uh marketed as such uh, probably. They taste sandy. It's got a very distinctive sandy Fake taste. Fake news, Barramundi. That's what you're telling me I ate? <laughs> Back to the value spread. So it was my fault. I derailed it. Um, and then, you know, there was an initial collapse and it kind of rallied all the way back. So since then, we've now vastly exceeded the value spread that we saw in, in 1999. This is in the S&P 500 specifically. So it, it rallied had a little collapse and it's rallied back. So it's at this point now where it either, it, it's all-time highs today, that spread. And there's research, um, you know, it's updated every now and again. Jake wrote some ages ago uh, and there's some more recent stuff that shows the, uh, the spread 
is indicative of of future returns. So uh, I know I say this all the time. I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but I really do think this is one of those extraordinary opportunities where value is just so enticing relative to growth. The the two uh, the, there are two ways that that can resolve, right? Either you get the nasty kind, which is where you get a value, or you get a growth collapse, and either value doesn't collapse as badly, or it uh, or, or it rallies a little bit, or you get the, the nice kind where value just stages this this rally. And in in two thousand in the early two thousands, we had both. We had initially we had a nasty collapse of growth, um, which had had some value value got dinged up too initially. And then there was a subsequent period that went on for about four years after the first two-year collapse where growth did nothing and value was very strong, which is obviously that's the kind that I'm hoping for, but I suspect we get both. We get the, we get the growth collapse along with the value collapse and then we get some good, uh, some good performance out of value. <sighs> I've said that a few times. I mean, it's been uh, you know, a good 20 years. Let's, it's, maybe it's time to mint a whole new batch of gurus, right? <laughs> Is there a way I can NFT this? Can you NFT this picture? Yeah, but no one wants it, bro. You need, to get, you need to NFT the growth stocks, you know? Just like we're, a picture of these beautiful compounder growth saying, stocks. Yeah, never those charts, of those charts. Yeah. Those charts are pretty, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And they got nice tickers, too. Yeah. Value's all in old, boring industries too. Like, there's just nothing sexy about it at all. Like, the only reason you do it is because you get some performance out of it, but you can't even get performance out of it. There's just no reason. They're boring stocks with bad names and no performance. Tell you what you can't do. You can't drive Substack subscriptions with it. Word. Ain't nobody these? caring about steel stocks. What are these returns for ants? <laughs> <laughs> Cyclicals. Is there are, are there any cyclical investors left? Like you just about couldn't be, could you be wiped out? I no, you could. I mean, you had a hell of a bite at the apple last year. I guess Mike Mitchell's probably he's the he's the real deal doing it. Yeah, we don't talk about him right now. I want to let it talk about that. What are the no, marathon are. guys he's, doing? He's, they still marathon guys. They're still rocking capital cycle theory, or that is that? They've, yeah, they've I got, think so. I mean, Robotis, Robotis is uh, they're. They're pretty public about not being um, opposed to cyclicals in the right times. Right. When are so the right times them? Before they rally. <laughs> yeah. So there's one firm. Let me know when that's going to happen. Yeah. If well, it's but going up, buy it. Could, no, but you could have, I mean, there was a ton of cyclicals to buy last year. A ton. It's just, I don't, you know, now it gets kind of nerve wracking. Right. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, the problem is when, when the commodities or whatever rip, people get way too excited about the stocks and everybody forgets to normalize. And then you have a problem, right? I'm sure somebody in the chat's like, uranium, uranium. I get it. Yes. It's going to say subtweeting uranium right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, you know, they, what's, uh, what's Cameco doing? That's the only one that I used to look at. But um, yeah. That was a weird Guessing. period last year when, it, like all the cyclicals just took off and then the stock prices took off even more and it's all sort of come back to earth like that include i include like small and micro which is like economically sensitive had this explosive run for about six months and then just decided just stalled out yeah tried seen, to drift uh, back to earth seen natural gas prices lately no is natty gas having a run it's up to a five handle for the first time in like mm. six or seven years. I remember looking at some natural gas stuff back in like 2015 or something like that. Maybe even earlier than that. Maybe it was 2010. I don't know. And trying to trying to have a go at that and just getting absolutely smoked. Well, fracking fucked it. Too many gassy wells. Is that what it is? Yeah. It was. It was like what? It was like two bucks for 2010, something like that. And it, that was way undervalued. But yeah, it was it was fracking. Yeah. I got to talk to my boy. I, I don't, I don't take, I don't have oil takes without confirming anything with him. Why? Cause he makes money in oil and I know nothing. And that is how it goes. Does he take a sort of uh, Mike Mitchell approach to it where you just wait until it's completely bombed out and then you find something that's like the higher, higher, you know, higher cost operator and just 
when you know when it runs back. Well, up he doesn't. Again. He doesn't mess around in public stocks for the most part. Um, I think he bought a little bit of Chevron uh, when oil went negative, but um, I mean, he he plays a different game, man. Other people's money, flipping assets to public companies. So yeah. that's the game to play. Yeah, don't be in public companies. For suckers, go out. Well, yeah, well, go out, lease up the you know the acreage, and then uh, bundle it and sell it to somebody like uh, you know quite a bit bigger. That's a smarter game uh, than trying to pick a bottom in a Occidental, mm. you, you, which you need did to, work in March, by the way. You, do, you really need to know what you're doing. Like this, that's that's uh, that's not that's not entry level stuff. No, but I will say, I happen to think in anything that you're doing, you really have to know what you're doing. That's a good point. That's a good point. Oh. <laughs> I, think, I, don't, I don't think the money-making game is easy. Is that what, is that what Buffett's been saying this whole time? <laughs> I think so. And then, and then I think it's important to know when you don't know what you're doing. That's, mm. And that's all I got for today, yeah. folks. That's the veggies. If you're going to do something, you want to know what you're doing. <laughs> that's right. And that's the there's, there's like a, if you think about it, right? You've got this radius around you of shit you don't know or you know. And then outside the radius, mm. you got to know where that is. And if you were to call that a circle of competence. Smart. Maybe it's an oval. It could be. It <laughs> the, definitely could be. The dodecahedron of competence. The what a what? The, the, oh. gerry, the gerrymander of comp- competence, <laughs> is all I like to call it. Gerrymander. It's a children's. <laughs> The yeah, children's let's, uh let's keep it PG here. Yeah, geez. Talking about doe dicks and whatnot. <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know. It's 2021. It might be. Probably got edited out. Yeah, we got demonetized for that somehow. The doe identifies as male. That's not a problem. I was I was actually I was I was I was astonished that the last one we did didn't get demonetized. They didn't even try. I think they've just stopped listening. Yeah. Well, just can't yeah. possibly listen. If you're below a threshold of interest, there's no demonetization because there's no monetization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw one of the one of the Apple reviews was like for this podcast was like one star. It's just three guys talking about nothing. <laughs> like, well, wow, that's fucked up. It's so true. That's hurtful. It did yeah. hurt. It did hurt. It got right in there. I read one from mine and it was like uh this is very like self-aggrandizing <laughs> and and something else. And I was like, son of a bitch, they pegged me. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Nothing worse than being pegged unwillingly. I know, right? By someone I don't even know, a random person on the internet. Oh, you I, know I what guess. I did? I handled it like a man, and I stayed up all night and ranted. Blocked him. If you tracked him down. Him. <laughs> all right, uh, de- we've devolved. What's, we, what's we, next? We've gone. Let, let's let's do some veggies. Let's see if we can redeem ourselves. We cannot. You want, you want veggies or Mobison? I, I mean, look, I don't have like this. Your, your thought, you're very thoughtful, man, Jake. I guess this is what I've been thinking about. Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to put it together right in front of everybody. Um, so I found an interesting study um, or anecdote in, in Think Twice where like they were doing a very simple experiment, right? So it's five lines and you're just, your job is to match the length of the line that you're looking at with the length of the line on paper mm. and sounds like Solomon Ash study. Okay. Keep cool. Going. You know, all the big words, man. I'm just teaching it like I would to a five-year-old anyway, Jake. Sorry. Uh, so like most people can do it, you know, I don't know, maybe 99 out of a hundred times. One time you're drunk, whatever. We <laughs> add that one back. Um, adjusted accuracy. But when you're in a group, of people, right? So the study was there's like seven people and six people pick before the person that's picking. The person very rarely got the correct answer. So I think about that sometimes when like, I've I've actually thought about this a lot over the past like year and a half or something where uh, I know something that people are talking like I actually know what people are talking about, but then the chatter around the thing that they're talking about is like so wrong and the take is so wrong, but people are like confident in a wrong take. And I think that some of that has to do with like, um, you know, I do think there's something real about watching the first thing that goes into your brain and whether or not you're actually protecting against that and, and forcing yourself to think for yourself. And I guess that 
as it currently relates to my situation. Um, I have just read so much never sell shit that I don't think that that I need to go back to like first principles a little bit on this whole never sell stuff because I get it and I really do get it. And I know that I just said I got it, but I also think that maybe it's gone too far. Um, And I think part of why it's gone too far, maybe like sort of the echo chamber that I'm in. Um, But I, I also tweeted out something today. Let's see if I can find it. But the gist of it is like groups of people can get themselves to conclusions that are like wildly, wildly wrong. Right. And when you separate um, like partisan groups and you let them discuss an issue, they get like further and further more drift into their partisan nature. That's the so, Bay of Pigs group think idea, right? Sure. We'll call it that yeah. for here. Polarization. This is just three guys talking about shit. We're not actually trying to be accurate here. So yes, yeah. it's the Bay of Pigs invasion. But that was the group. That's where the idea of, of group think comes from, right? That the, or, or that was the foot. Just they, they didn't have any. There was nobody who was pushing back and saying, this is a bad idea. Everybody was just in the room saying this yeah. is a good idea, even though they might, that each individual might have had uh, reservations about it because of the, uh, the need, the social proof. They didn't feel like they could express those reservations in that. And so it sounded like everybody was reinforcing what was a, everybody thought was a bad idea, but everybody was reinforce, reinforcing it in a positive way. Yeah. I, you I may not even think it's right. a bad idea. You may just have, you, you may not even be able to think about, you know, your own feelings about it because you just, you, you're in a group and you, and you may even, if you think about the way that you view the problem, you, you, uh, you think, yeah, this is the right, this is the right path. When you walk away from the group and you start thinking about it for yourself, you say, oh, no, no, this is, this is a problem. We're going in the wrong direction here. Yeah. And I, I think like the combination of like, I'm just going to roll through every chapter, but the interesting thing is like when it comes to politics and I really do think investing is this way, especially when you get into like value growth camps and shit like that. Like uh, when you start to have conversations in echo chambers, the thought can get taken way too far. And then you like the other example is like uh, in politics, at least people within a party can't see the hypocrisy within their own party. Right. So like, when you're talking about the value growth spread, like I think a lot of people, um, unless they're really consciously thinking about it, whether they're in the value camp and they dismiss growth or if they're in the growth camp and they dismiss value, like I, I think this stuff takes a lot of brain power to really work through. And I think that you should probably be pretty tired at the end of every day um, because you've like thought. Uh, that's kind of where I've got with even. this. 12, yeah, there you go. Or you're on thin ice. Yeah. See? See what I did there? You told me, for those that are watching, thin ice. So yeah. anyway, I don't know. Those are just sort of some of my thoughts. And um, I don't know. That's, that's what I got. I think it's. I think you're spot on. And there's there are, I think, all kinds of... This is the happiest day ever. Jake <laughs> and I agree. <laughs> you guys don't agree? I think people think we don't agree a lot. You listen so to you us agree in long form. Like 99% of the time. 1% yeah. around the edges. 1% on this, this entirety you know, of this show. There's no, there's, no, there's, the, there's, no, there's no fun. Like everybody's sitting around here agreeing. This is true. Sorry, Jake. Please continue telling me how correct I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just there's... I was, the working in teams thing is, is a really a double-edged sword where you have uh, that, that order of information as it's presented to you. And as you get feedback from others, while that feedback is gigantic to create that outside view and helps you to entertain more possibilities, because there's just less blind spots when you have multiple people looking at something, different perspectives, the, the biasing, the noise that it can introduce uh, is also tremendous. And so you have to be really thoughtful about how you, you orchestrate like group projects when it comes to decision-making. Now, I will, I'm sorry. I, I do think this is important though. Um, 
and like, I mean, I know I talk about Twitter a lot, but like I fucking live on it. So whatever. But <laughs> like the reason that I pivoted on the airline idea in March of last year is I wrote something about what it's like to own the airlines going into a pandemic and what it's like to be a long-term owner. And this dude, Edwards Deming, I don't know if you listen to this podcast. I don't know who you are, dude, but if you ever need a, a dinner, I got you for dinner and wine and it's going to be nice. He popped into my feed. And he was like, the first stage of taking a loss is not admitting that you're wrong. And like that comment really, really forced me to think. Just and I, I fully the, first, attribute- the first stage of taking he, a he loss like is seven not stages, admitting that you're wrong. Yeah, like seven stages of taking a loss. And like the first stage is like not admitting that you're wrong, you know, like up front, like justifying why you were right in the first place or whatever. Is this and like, like the stages of loss, like, um, you know, like grief kind of loss, like that same. I, I mean, it's something similar, but I can just tell you that like what he did for me and that, I mean, that, that was a huge uh, change in my performance. And I, I'm really, really thankful that he made that comment. And I'm also thankful that I was open enough to think, Hey, he might be right. So like, that's the devil edge sort of it, right? Like he gave me the outside view that I needed to hear, but also you, I, I don't know how you figure out when to listen and when not it's tough. In a, in a group setting to avoid the group thing, I think that the best thing to do is everybody has to think about what they're going to say beforehand and have that written down somewhere or have that set at least. And then you start with the person who has the least authority in the group saying hmm. what they think and then you move all the way up until you have – because if you don't write it down initially, then people change their minds in the meeting. And if you start with a person who has the most authority, then everybody's inclined to agree with that person. Hmm. That's a different it would be kind of interesting tra- to shuffle the paper and then have everybody read the paper out loud, starting with the person with least authority and then discuss the ideas. That would be like a really interesting test. So I, I'm, I may or may not be working on solving this problem at, from, from a first principle kind of standpoint in a, in a software format. Do you have any broad principles that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, well, it's still a little early, but <laughs> I'm just going to tease that and hold a fish at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think I'll wait for that. There'll be, I'll do a really good segment on it. Um, so I've, I've got a segment actually on like fingerprinting that I think might be kind of interesting that ties in with all this. So we'll I, wait. I, I like the, I, I like the idea of never sell. Um, and I, that's a, that's a more recent thing that I, in the last <laughs> like couple of years that I've been thinking about never sell more deeply. And I, I like having conversations with, um, you know, guys like Matt Cochran have helped me and, and Bill particularly because I, I like the idea. The first thing to notice, it's not a Bill prescription. Oh. <laughs> Bill Brewster, who's got a brand oh. new Twitter handle, has the, um, the idea that it's not prescriptive, that it's aspirational. Mm-hmm. And then I do think that that frames up the way that you think about positions too, because if you think, Ideally, I want to hold this thing forever. Like clearly that eliminates a lot of stocks that you just can't get comfortable with over long periods of time. And then when you're holding them, maybe you've got to be a little bit more forgiving for bad quarters and things like that. But, uh, ultimately, you're not trying to hold forever, but you are, I mean, you are trying to hold forever, but you recognize that there are going to be periods of time where maybe the valuation is just so extreme it can't be justified at that point. Maybe, I don't know. Buffett doesn't seem to approach it that way. Do you know, I'm, I'm a... I'm going to bring up a stock I never talk about. My beloved curate. Curate. <laughs> never heard of it. You know how I think you don't lose much money in that? Or I don't. I, you should not listen to me. You should do your own damn work. But if I actually look at that business, like I owned it, I bought it, and I'm just going to own it until the terminal value, occur, like whatever happens, happens from here, I think it's a really low downside bet. If I start to get cute with like where the stock is and whether or not it's like gone down more than a quarter or whatever, then I could see myself taking a loss. Like it, it's, uh, I, th- I think that a real ownership mentality, um, when executed, can really reduce risk a lot. But you know, it's going to feel bad at points, just like owning the business. The good news is I don't have to go and manage through the shitty days. It's the beautiful thing of investing. Yeah, you really got to ignore the price as an indication of how you're doing in that position. Curate's a very good example of it because it's a, you know, it's a deep value position. It's got some balance sheet and some capital structure um, changes that materially change, you know, will help you realize the value there. Yeah. You just got to let them do their thing and I'm either right or wrong. 
build your empire. Yeah, a little bit. And that's an interesting like uh, way to look at it. I think sometimes you can associate it with stocks that are going up. Uh, one of the things that I really respect about Mike is Mike looks at it. I mean, even the lumber play, right? Like he doesn't, he, I don't think he likes the current price action, but like he doesn't give a shit about this stuff. It's amazing to watch. He's watching the fundamentals. Yeah. Like all he cares about is what's going on underneath. Like he doesn't care about stock price or any of that stuff. It's uh, I've learned a lot from watching him this last year. It's quite the advantage. Yeah. Fellas, let's do, uh, let's do Jake's um, veggies. All right. Fish is on the menu today, not veggies, but uh, so I was Fish in. Is good for you too. Yeah, I think so. I was in uh, Vail, Colorado last week for the ValueX uh, event that Vitaly Katzenelson puts on. And one of the mornings we went to this uh, kind of like a camp, I guess you would call it, where they had archery and fly fishing and uh, ride four wheelers around and all kinds of stuff. And uh, so I chose to do the fly fishing. And uh, while I was doing it, Vitaly came over and he, he challenged me to come up with a veggie segment for, for fishing. And I thought, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But um, so I have seven things that might be points of related to fishing that might make you a better investor. So without further ado, number one is, of course, we have our, our main man, Munger, telling us to fish where the fish are. Right. So it doesn't get much more on the nose than that. Um, but I think what that really means is, you know, where the fish are can mean multiple things. It can mean tailwinds for uh, that entire uh, industry or country or maybe that particular business or the business model. Um, it can mean competitive dynamics. Uh, maybe there's not a lot of capital being put into that industry. And so maybe there's a chance for prices to firm up and profit to be realized. And of course, maybe it's just a valuation based, which, you know, that's maybe where the fish are is based on the price of the fish. Um, so that's number one. Number two is fish where the other guys aren't. Uh, and that's, that is somewhat related to valuation, right? Like if nobody's interested, that tends to be fetching a lower multiple. Whereas if people are very interested, those multiples tend to be quite a bit higher. Um, and there's also something to be said, maybe that means to, if you're not a professional, especially, maybe focus on smaller companies where there's less attention uh, and there's not the big guys in there trying to fish with you because um, maybe they've got better gear than you do. And, you know, you need to, to keep your advantage. Um, number three, fishing is like, if fly fishing especially is, is really all about like a delicate presentation of the fly so that the fish is attracted to it. And a lot of that is sort of like pattern matching for the, for the angler to know like, Oh, when I've done this kind of certain move or made it move a certain way, it's attractive to the fish. Um, but you also like, can't force it, right? Like it's, it's a very delicate kind of operation. Um, and I, I kind of, I view that as sort of like the, the one foot bars that Buffett talks about, like not forcing it and really waiting for your opportunities and, and being not so much brute force and trying to like talk yourself into how you can get over that eight foot bar, right? Like it should be kind of obvious and easy. Um, and I don't like Toby do, in your research and work on this invincibles idea and book. I mean, is the concept, like maybe explain a little bit of the concept of kind of like going with, with the flow or like with nature or being, um, you, you know, how, how would you explain it? Well, there's, this is this is uh, this is all still a little bit incoherent. Haven't entirely formulated this part, but there is an idea that um, you know basically things continue as they are for the most part. And this and the, the the better you are able to figure out what reality is, and you know, so I, I wrote this. I wrote a note for myself just then when you said you know f maybe look at smaller stocks or or fish where the fishermen aren't. And I was going to fade that slightly for exactly this reason that, you know, that probably some of the problem is, you know, approaching the, approaching the problem like you're trying to beat the market or you're trying to do something like that. When sometimes I think that the better approach might be, you know, this thing, and I'm talking about fundamentals here, not, not stock price performance. If the fundamentals have been succeeding for an extent, 
really, really long period of time. And it's in a company that's just going to be in a business. that's going to be very hard to disrupt it. Like, you know, makeup or something like that. Like they're just, they're just hard to, people get used to buying what they're used to buying. They like the, if they're already sort of buying it for semi-irrational reasons and they've shown a propensity to do it for decades. They're probably going to keep doing that for decades on now. Does it really matter if you um, slightly overpay for those earnings, if you're confident that, you know, and I'm talking about in a market where, you know, normalized with low interest rates, there are there are lots of very expensive companies out there. Are you if you're buying something that you're very very confident, you know? So I think about this, and in a non non uh, in a non makeup type thing, like Shopify is a business that I think is absolutely spectacular, but it's always incredibly expensive. And I'm trying to work out how you get, you know, what what you're waiting for with Shopify. Like maybe we're going to get a big collapse at some stage, and Shopify will be down ninety percent, like Amazon was, and you get your opportunity to buy. But equally, you can't rely on that happening. And I've been waiting, you know, a long time for that to happen, and it's never, <laughs> it's never happened. But I do think that Shopify is a business that it's going to be much, much bigger in five or ten years' time. The stock price might not be much, much bigger in five or ten years' time. But if I think like a business guy, like I kind of want to own Shopify at the right price. So that's the idea, just that you're trying to buy stuff that, you know, is, is going to win in the future. He's going to be here first. He's going to be winning in the future or he's going to be growing. And, and then you're secondarily trying to find the right entry point for that. I think uh, just to riff on that a little bit, <clears throat> like Bill Miller has said that he has an addiction to value stocks, but all his money has been made in gross stocks. And, you know, I think that's uh, it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, something like Farfetch, something like Etsy, um, you know, I don't know. You got to figure out how long you want to, or how, I, I think you can pay a really high price by just being like, oh, just duration, bro. Uh, just own it forever. It's like, okay. But um, I do also think that there's a very reasonable, uh, they are not objectively crazy to me, right? Like I, I, I can understand why people buy them here um, for the reason that you're speaking about. Sure. <clears throat> All right. Uh, number four, you want to find like a deep water pool. That's where the, the best, biggest fish are. And they tend to be down at the bottom. And so if your fly doesn't get deep enough, you'll, you'll never really attract them. But if, you're, if your fly gets too deep, it, banging along the bottom, you're likely to get tangled up uh, in the rocks and weeds and stuff. So I think that's somewhat similar to the research process where you know, if you if you don't get deep enough, you're not really going to 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 get at what's important there. But if you get too deep and down and tangled up in the weeds, I think you you also sort of reach a suboptimal level. And what's especially dangerous is that for every unit of information that you add down at that very depth, uh, you probably add more confidence in your in what you think you understand faster than you are actual understanding. So, um, I think that's. There's some, there's like some sweet spot there and probably the amount of work that needs to be done on an idea to get that, you know, 80 to 90% of the most relevant information before you get diminishing returns and then overconfidence instead. Could I frame the problem as you, you, it's sort of a classification problem, a little bit like a, a deep pool might be something that, you know, it might be worthwhile spending a whole lot of time studying a never sell type business because that's the kind of business that you need to understand and you need to be able to see if that starts fading or something like that because you're paying for the premium. But, you know, cyclicals and things like that, you need a fairly, you need a more of a, a forest for the trees type view where you need to be able to stand back and see where it is in the, um, in the economy and its cycle rather than, you know, it doesn't help you to know a great deal about the, the grade of the ore or something like that. Like you kind of need to know that once and then you got a rough idea what this thing will do if the commodity runs and you're better off spending some time working out when the commodity is going to run, but it doesn't really pay you to get, you know, tangled up in a company like that or, you know, cinemas or whatever the case may be. And I know some people who spend huge amounts of time, on these companies that just the businesses just don't justify the amount of time that they spend on them. Mm. And I think you'd be better off spending that finding the never sell. So maybe the analogy would be there that like the, the better business that you're researching is kind of a deeper pool. Um, and so if you're going to really sink a lot of time into it, you want to make sure it's a good, good depth. 
that's worth spending the time on. Having said that, like you, you made a great point once that if you if you don't trust the management team enough that you feel the need to read every single footnote, then it might not be it might not be the right business. You need to kind of you need a business where you trust the guys running it so well that you don't feel like you need to read it like a like a lawyer, you know, like a contract. Yeah, like a lawyer. This is a tangential thought, but the nice thing about studying businesses that you only want to own is like all the time that you sink into it, that's not lost time, right? If you're just like researching a cigar butt, then you got to start all over from zero the next one. That's a good point. So number five, uh, like the best anglers, they make their own flies uh, and they, you know, so they really it's almost like sort of finding your personality and what works for you and then sort of matching it with the environment and the opportunity set. So I think, you know, knowing yourself uh, as an investor and knowing, you know, which opportunities make sense to you, where you're likely to succeed um, and waiting for those, uh, I think is like, I don't know, a big, big chunk of this game. Um, And so know thyself is sort of like really good And, and the best anglers, like they sort of know themselves by making their own flies. Yeah, I think that's a good one. You, you got to be, you got to be whatever your personality fits to, right? If you number if you, six, oh, go ahead. I just, yeah, I think, I think that's a good one. Sorry, that, that's, that's all. Sorry, okay. Keep going. <laughs> um, like really, this is pretty smart. I didn't. Uh, really good anglers will will check spider webs along the banks to see what bugs are currently sort of in bloom. Um, mm. You know what have what have recently hatched, and that's what the the fish are likely biting on. So. And they'll pick a matching fly then that like looks like whatever they find in the spider web. And I think that might be a kind of an interesting analog for like stock screening um, to see, you know, you want to check that, that spider web to see what's in there and what, what you might, uh, what, what you might pattern match. Reminds me of buying momentum stocks. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think, okay, I, we're going to invoke Mike Mitchell like five times in this podcast, but that's sort of like, I think about Mike, like keeping an eye on lumber for like a decade and uh, finally seeing the opportunity and like having it's gotta work having a it hasn't worked yet knock on wood uh you know the, it, it is what it is it's it's not a it's not given it's not but it's a still a, it's it's a good it's, it's that is good <laughs> but it's it's still a it's still a good uh, regardless of what happens with that position his analysis is is spot on and it's a it's a good risk adjusted bet i mean the, the outcome is irrelevant at this point the thought process that went into producing it is sound I don't mean to talk about them so much because I got a lot of really smart people that I talk to and I, I have mad respect for a lot of them. But if you're talking about a dude that is not afraid to fucking swing at like out of favor ideas and then be like a true fundamentalist, that's him. And I, I just haven't seen it before. And I hope it works out. Number seven, uh, this in fly fishing, you're using very, very light tackle. Um, like the, the string, like the final string where the flies attached to is like, you know, it's supposed to be very hidden so that the fish doesn't see it. Right. Uh, and so it doesn't produce a lot of wake when it's moving around. Um, so it will break very easily. So you have to be really, when you do get the fish on you, you can't just like reel him right into the shore. Um, and so you have to actually let them like run and tire themselves out and then you kind of bring them back in and let them run again. Uh, and so your only chance of really getting them is to, is to work with the fish and, and, I, and until eventually they get tired enough that you can bring them in. And I think that's somewhat similar to, you know, the prices can run all over you while you're holding it. And you kind of have to just like, let them run, let them do their thing, you know, let them tire themselves out a little bit, uh, before, you know, you really try to reel them in. So, you know, it, it can be really hard to hold on to what will eventually be a big winner because, you know, if you like look at the, the study of a hundred baggers, I mean, the prices go all over the place and are like almost impossible to like get that fish into the boat, right. Like, or onto the shore. Uh, but you have to let it run around if you're going to get that hundred bagger kind of outcome. It's interesting hearing um, uh, Bezos talk about Amazon in that year that it was down 90%. Because he said that from his perspective, he could see that. Well, I, I, I forget the exact scale, but he was like, you know, the revenues grew three times that year. Um, we were getting close to being profit. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, he was entirely focused on what the business was doing. And they were expanding beyond books and other things at that point. And he was just like, it just didn't phase him at all where the stock price was. 
Yeah. Hard to say sure. about your employees that got stock-based compensation, but uh, yeah. That, does, that, is, that is an issue. Yeah, you're right. There's some reflexivity in there, right? I guess that's, Huge. The, that's the issue. Huge. Yeah. Especially but, today when everybody's trying to compete for talent. But then the rest of the market's a little bit like that too, right? Everybody's kind of beaten up at the same time. Yes, yes. I think in that example, you're probably right. But that's an issue for software, tech companies in particular. Like if you get older tech, like why doesn't eBay fix its website? Probably because it's hard to get. Yeah, you're not going to get the best there. engineers there. Yeah. Even Facebook's a little bit old hat. Like, I mean, not, not even Facebook, but Facebook hey, hey. is old hat. Like there's newer, shinier objects to chase. Yeah. But you make a lot. Making a lot can get over working Come. for the man. But then that sort of takes away a little bit of their competitive advantage, right? You got to pay, you got, now you got to pay more to get well, I, those guys where previously you were paying them the stock. I think you have yeah. to pay them a lot because their their other opportunity is to go start their own kind of thing that might disrupt yeah. them. So they're like, this is almost like a form of engineering green mail. Yeah. That said, I I, I mean, they get good talent, so I think uh, I don't think they're hurting for talent. They're going to be okay. I'm not yeah. worried about them. Could argue the same thing at Google, right? Sure. All right. So that's all I got for fishing. I like that was it. good. Yeah. yeah. You could write a book on that, JT. No, thank fly you. Fishing, <laughs> fly fishing and investing. How much yeah. fly fishing have you done before you caught that fish? Uh, none or like hardly any my dad's a pretty good fisherman but i'm i am not so i've i haven't really done much fly fishing before that but i like they it put i think that it's kind of fish more fun. on the hook for him <laughs> everybody took a photo with that fish really? they got that one off ice pass it around it's it's actually plastic <laughs> that poor fish he, he got caught seven times that day that's probably true I, the, what the guy that was teaching us was like I don't know. There were thousands of fish in there. He's like, all of them have been po- caught, you know, dozens of times. <laughs> yeah. They're all used to it. Got lots of holes in their face. Yeah. They just swim into shore so they don't even get like tugged on. They're just like, ah, fuck it. We're <laughs> yeah. going in. They'll let me <laughs> off soon. Yeah. See, it, it is catch and release. Yeah. You don't get to eat them. Are they, are they, can you eat rainbow trout? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's good eating. Put that in a, like, put it into like tin foil and put on but the barbecue and put butter. These fish are for catching or for eating. I don't know. He looked pretty. Look at the tail on it. He's pretty like the really farmed ones have small tails because they're they never really need it to like mm. develop swimming. This guy's got a pretty good tail on him, so he's all right. This is a real fish. Interesting. Uh, there was some there's some comments in the the few things that we should talk about from the comments. Uh, yeah, so China as a uh, fish with a fisher has mm. Mungus sold out of Baba. No. Is that a rumor? I keep on seeing that tweeted out, or it's tweeted at me occasionally. That Lee Lil fake Barbara, news until you know, I see the disclosure. Fake news. Yeah. Okay. So that, that that would seem like a very surprising thing for them to reverse to vault face so quickly on something like that. Yeah. But that's a pretty good example, isn't it? Like China at the moment, like nobody really disputes the valuation. It's the it's the question of whether you the security that you own will give you the underlying value that. That is there. That's the debate. I don't know how to answer that question. I'm, I recorded an episode with Ray Ma, uh, and I'm going to try to get it out, not this week, but next week. I think people should listen because she's way more intelligent than I am on this particular issue. Uh, and she does the China Tech, Tech Daily or whatever, Tech Buzz Daily, Tech Buzz China Daily. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's China and it's tech, and I believe it's daily. I'm looking forward to that one. That's good. Yeah. You're just going to tease She's us good. like that. You're not going to give us any, don't give us the, you're not going to give what? us the seven, the seven fly fishing tips. I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I don't think it's anything that, that uh, anybody doesn't know the, the one thing that she said that really stuck with me um, on, and she said it on Twitter is she said, everybody that I know that's informed about this situation doesn't have a strong opinion. And everyone that has a strong opinion doesn't know what's going on. And like, I, I think that, so that's just normal then. Yeah. I think she has a lot of nuance and I think that, uh, China is trying to accomplish a lot of different things. And I'm not sure that the answer means that, 
you know, foreign investors aren't ever going to see the dollars. And I'm not sure that the corporations aren't going to be able to keep the dollars. And I think it requires the ability to hold conflicting thoughts in your head. So maybe 1% of people can do it and uh, we'll see how it all works out. I'm sure that no matter what happens, everyone will be overly confident about knowing the answer. And it will appear obvious in hindsight. Yeah, I'd like everyone to write their answer down now so that when it happens, we can actually go back and see who is right for the right reasons. Yeah, for my two cents, I think it's worth taking a swing at. So you can hang me on that one in a few years' time. No, I do too. (laughs) But there's no certainty. It's like... (laughs) Who knows? It's I can't even like I can't even guess the probabilities because it's just unknowable. But let's say it's fifty fifty. Yeah, I th- I think um, I was talking to my wife about whether or not it's worth a swing. And if if I were to swing, I'd probably ETF it because I just don't know enough over there. But like a tech ETF is somewhat appealing to me. But the time that you'd spend researching an ETF is something like that. You could look at the four big ones, couldn't you, and figure out which of those is better, which of those is um, the best. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I don't I don't not know. And <clears throat> I just don't know. Which is to say, I don't disagree with you. I just don't agree. <laughs> I am neutral on your. Point. Yes. And not. Yes. That's right. Not no. That's correct. Thinking That's twice. exactly correct. Um, Next up. I, I had a good question, but it's gone. Um, it's like that qu- people keep asking us China questions like we know. The, the answer but hasn't changed at all. But nobody knows. It's, we're just, I think it's just worth, it's worth seeing people think through it because it's like that's how I've been kind of learning. I've been listening to people talking about it one way or the other. Yeah. It's, it's unknowable. Like that's the thing you have to get kind of comfortable with. You don't know. The valuation looks good, but you don't know if you can capture that value. You know, it, this is putting aside all the other normal stuff where, you know, they may just issue a whole lot of stock. Like there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, there's a thousand ways to die in this, in this particular instance, but the, the upside is huge. So it's worth having a pretty close look at it. I just think that from an incentive perspective, I'm just not sure there's really a thousand ways to die. I, I know that everybody wants to say it, and I know why, I think I know why people want to say it. And it's definitely concerning when a government that has pretty much absolute power starts flexing the power. But like, if you invested there and you didn't know they had the possibility to flex the power, like you're a dumbass. So, you know, don't clip that and put that on Twitter. I'm not going <laughs> to have that out there. I may. But- <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't do the clipping. But, <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, I, I just think um, I, I think I understand some of the goals that they're trying to accomplish, and I, I don't think that they're patently crazy at all. What about uh, an alternative way of playing it? Like you just you just luxury through the states where luxury is sold into it. So you know I'm not this this is not this is, tapestry is one that's that's the old um, coach. Oh God, sold. no, thank you. I think you are. If you're gonna go luxury, go to like LVMH. I would not yeah, I go to say, tapestry for a luxury play. I think you're. Yeah, I agree. If you're if you own Nike or Starbucks, you're as long China as if you owned Tencent. Yeah, I can. That's a all the, fair point. All the growth of those are that you're underwriting is is baked into China, basically. So are you better I off then coming JT up a list of those truth. things? Yeah, are you better off coming up with a list of those that it's not a 100% all-in bet on how they treat it it's you know you're probably going to be okay with the other parts of the business that are good at the moment it's just you've got this now you've got the free option on this other part well i don't think starbucks has a free option yeah it's not a free option sorry you got an option on it yeah but i i think that option paying for that priced yeah i agree with jake um i'd probably rather play directly than than play some ancillary play to jake's point john battle's offering us a gumball machine set the kids up with the business. I'll, I'll, I'll buy the gumball machine from you, John, if you hit me in the DMs or an email. Oh, wait, he's trying to sell us a, a gumball machine? He's going to give us one, I think, but I, I, oh, I'll, I'll that's buy dope. it. You do just got to tell me what take, to do. Do we take turns, like ownership of no, it? You get one each. Oh, shit. As one a business, each? As a How business. big is this gumball machine? I have no more information than I've given you, but that's very kind offer. I'll, t- I'll take you up on it. I'll buy it yeah, from you though. Ship them all to sh- Toby and then Toby can ship mine to me. <laughs> definitely, definitely don't do that. <laughs> I don't like my address get though. 
Yeah, your wife's gonna kill you when that when the giant full size gumball machine. Shows well, you're up supposed the, to. You're supposed to. It's a business. You're supposed to put it out somewhere as a business. Oh, really? Oh, to dang. teach the kids about business. Okay, oh, well, now you're, that's now that's I, the part that I need the help with. Like now, where I'm I put it? I'm very interested now. I like. Let's get these kids on the passive income train. That's right. One gumball at a time. That's very Buffett, early Buffett. So here's, here's another question I kind of like. If you, if you had to buy a growth stock, so I guess this is one that we got to think a little bit how we define this stuff because I don't think that there's plenty of stuff that is fast growing that I would classify as still value. So literally are we saying that something that, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to define this stuff. But let's say- I hate this question because I don't know all of them. What's but if I had to buy to one? pick one to buy? Well, so I, I like shop, but sh- shop's too expensive for me. So shop's my, I would buy shop. I mean, I think shop's almost you, a no-brainer. Etsy, and maybe even Peloton, maybe. Do you, do you buy shop? Do you stuff with, with a sh- little Shopify app? Like, I think it's phenomenal. You get all these random little websites and it recognizes you, knows how to ship, it tracks the shipping. It's genius. Yeah. It's it gives you the all of the, the good stuff about shopping on Amazon without the need to shop on Amazon. It's kind of... Unlimited growth, but it's expensive, and I'm not the only. Everybody else in the world's figured that out too, and they're much more aggressive than I am. The thing, like, you just got to be able to. You, you guys can look at. I've got a question here, like, what do, what do I need from Samson? What do I need to to see it to buy it? Like, it needs to be able to generate a reasonable return. Like the 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 pricing at the moment doesn't put in a reasonable. Like everything has to go right. It's got to perfectly execute, and you're probably not going to get a market return. I have a very smart friend who looks to, he just tries to answer the question. Jesus Lord, that's a valuation. <laughs> I got it, but I mean, look. Smart Is that, are you looking are, at shop? Yeah, oh shop? my Lord. Yeah, I mean, smart people are long it, but holy shit. So, so yeah, my, but when were my, they long? 2016. Sorry, JT. No, yeah, but they yeah, stayed that's true. long, but oh my. I mean, I guess if you think that in seven years they can generate Oh boy, they really need to flex up their cash flow. I don't know. That's not my kind of stock. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope everybody wins. I hope Shopify takes over the world. I'd, good for y'all if you do. I, if you don't think it, oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, JT, you go. You go. Well, we might have to, I might I'll say some of the dumb I'm shit. Sorry, I'm sorry, I just don't often see $175 billion valuation hanging on $500 million of free cash flow. It's just not something I tend to look at often. Don't worry about that so much. Just like it's, it's the, it's going to be the revenue growth margins. It's all going to like that, that free cash flow line's not meaningful oh, I get at this it. point. Yeah. I get uh, it. I mean, you got it, but I'm just saying you got to grow into it. It'll it'll do what Amazon did. It'll stupidly ramp at some stage, but we're not there yet. So my my smart friend looks for uh, tries to figure out is it reasonable that it could double within ten years, which is then a about a seven percent kind of hurdle. And if he can get comfortable with that, then he's he's interested. That's a very I would have said because I I use double in five years, which is like just a fraction under fifteen percent. It's 14.87 just in case anybody wants to check that but um compound that's that's very modest double over 10 years this is why you can't buy stuff man just well that's true or your discount rate that's yeah. true i mean that's true that's true your hurdle's too high that's why no wonder you can't find anything attractive <laughs> yeah well it's, we just it, solved it <laughs> yeah that's but why you're also underperforming a little margin <laughs> well too I'm discerning lots of reasons but... <laughs> too disciplined so t- Two two times in ten years, what what does he own? Shop is that was that the connection? Uh, no, but he owns some things that are bigger, growthier, and feels pretty confident that that business could be two x. I mean, it sucks that Netflix ripped because I I would have said Netflix, uh, and it would have looked smarter. But I I still think Netflix does well. Over, so is the, the, is the question time. here that we're trying to answer like? I don't care what it costs. Like I yeah, want I think to just so. own this business. Well, you, I think you do got to care what it costs. Like no, because then we'd all be long Shopify. You, yeah, you got to generate returns <laughs> out of it. You, you can't just, you can't just uh, nope. get, no, you don't. guess that the business is going to be bigger. And then and you can't then declare victory in five years time and like, yeah, the, the business is five times bigger than it was, but the stock price is still where it was. So I have a candidate for that. That's uh, It's a company that's coming out. It's IPOing maybe tomorrow, actually, uh, or at least this week. It's called Dutch Brothers. It's a coffee. Oh, yeah, the coffee. So 
I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the brand because uh, it's a it's very West Coast kind of centric, uh, and they're so it's it's imagine like a little hut basically that goes into a parking lot, and then picture like a mile worth of cars backed up out of it for. Uh, the drive-through because that's what every single one of them looks like people mm. just coming through and buying sweetened coffees um you know milkshakes basically it's a hell of a business incredible business uh very you think very it'll travel that's a you have to have it so i'll go at, like a little caffeine, bit of it. sugar and caffeine yeah but that, dude that dunkin donut dunkin dunkin stadium hasn't really traveled uh, well just, Duncan's, it's Duncan out here. There's lines that there's when Duncan opened up here, there was like a line down the block. Not like the East at Coast. At 4 a.m. in the morning. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe they're maybe you're right. So, like the current valuation, I think, on the IPO is something like $3.3 billion. And mm. they own three stores. <laughs> no, there's like 400 ish stores. So, like, you're on, I think it's, I, if I, I did the math, I, I'd have to double check it, but it was like, you're basically like paying $7 million per unit right now. Um, which the units cost, I don't know, something like 500,000 to build. Uh, and they, but the thing is like, they earn, they'll, they'll pay, they'll pay back like within 18 months or something. Yeah. Your returns on capital have to be crazy. They are crazy, crazy returns on capital. It's just how long is the growth runway runway for this? It could be huge, but you absolutely have to have it be huge for you to win. So it's a great business. Would love to own it, but the three billion dollar price tag is a little tough for me to picture how they maybe how they nibble do that. it, dude. Just just to taste. No. Okay, I'm just saying. To discipline. What, David what Gardner it? would say, "Take a taste." Ben Demero points out that Dutch Brothers is like the Chick Fil A of coffee in the Pacific Northwest. One that thing is that correct. I've, one thing that I've noticed that there are so many. What is it with all of the chicken? places opening up like near my near, if i get into the commercial area from where i am here there's you go down the street there's like four of these things and they're there are lines down the block and out the door is there this huge unmet demand for chicken sandwiches evidently it's delicious it's i think it's what it, one it's good two you get a higher price point so the average ticket size of a chicken sale is higher than a burger so you kind of you're able to drive more revenue through the same four hmm. walls from chicken than than a burger that's my hypothesis. This is true, but then what? Okay, so that's that's so Chick Fil A's average ticket sale is like quite a bit higher than like a In and Out or uh, any other kind of comparable. Huh? So that's, that's why how you they're want able to own to... one. But why do you want to eat one? Oh well. Yeah, Canes is the one that I'm talking about. Someone mentioned Blade. Oh, yeah, Canes yeah, is exactly what Canes has just opened up. It's a, like the line is bananas. <laughs> Have you tasted one, bro? <laughs> the I don't know. That's I, the new driven one. <laughs> I I. I Mate, the line is so long. I don't have I don't have half a day to get in the line and wait for a chicken. I got kids to drop at soccer. Yeah, that's fair. Chicken's really good, especially when it's breaded and deep fried. <laughs> yeah, I think that we need to start our own coffee shops. So that's a good Arthur Watkins. We're going to do a GoFundMe. We're going to do it not a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter, and get uh, value after hours coffee. We got the gumball machine to put in the coffee <laughs> shop. <laughs> that's the profit center. And then we're going to sell uh, some dental advertising on because we're going to have sugary coffee, the gumball machine, and then push people to oh, rip and tear. All vertical integration. <laughs> yeah, buddy. It'll be like the, you know, they'll say it's the interesting fact about Costco that, you know, they don't make any money selling anything. They make it all through the subscription. They'll be like, interesting fact about this coffee shop is all the money comes from the gumball machine in the corner. They just run it to <laughs> the, the coffee shop runs break even, but the gumball machine makes a million dollars a year. Yeah. <sighs> Oh Why? Gosh. Because the gumball machine is really a Bitcoin trading app. <laughs> it's a it's a helium miner. No, there's like little uh, little like little QR codes that go to NFTs inside the gumballs. Ah, uh, yeah. Each one is a unique and is an NFT. Yeah, non fun. Pops you out a picture of a gumball. <laughs> you give us money, we give you a picture of a gumball. You eat uh, it, and now you've got a photo of that gumball forever. I like the margins on that. Yeah, this could be good. This is a big business. We're going to have anyway. to pay for gas. Shout out to my Ethereum fans. I out for the uh, for the Kickstarter, which is coming to soon. Cane <laughs> sweet tea and cane sauce is where it's at. Oh, now we got to go and get in the line. Get all that stuff. Yeah, you do. Both of those are better just jam-packed with sugar, right? It's all just a sugar addiction at the end of the day, all these they, businesses. They figured out how to caffeinate to the chicken sauce. Like That's game over when someone does that. <sighs> So, 
here's a here's a good one. What's your max price to sales bullshit filter? Uh, imp- what's impossible? Oh, it I depends on the one. business, right? Yeah, it depends yeah. on the business. If it's a, if it's all margin, then your you price to sales is just your PE. So it doesn't. I mean, matter. it's enterprise value to me. I, I think uh, it's all about your rate of growth and what your enterprise value is. No, I don't know what it, I mean, it all depends on your margin structure and stuff. But I, I think, look, the thing that's, t- I think, objectively tough about Shopify, and I'm sure this will be wrong, but on $175 billion, um, it seems harder to compound off that than nine, for instance, or 44, or anything lower than 175. Can I can I give a nuanced answer to that? <clears throat> no, I think this is the uh, wrong form. Yeah. I think this is somewhat like art where early on rules help you to grow and become a, a better artist. Uh, but as you get more skilled, I think then you learn which rules to break and when it makes sense to break them. And so maybe early on in your investment journey, it's it's a good idea to have some guardrails like a certain price to sales that you would just say, nope, as a base case, I'm never going there. But as you get more understanding of businesses, more understanding of how markets work, then perhaps it's time you're, you should be allowed to express a little artistic discretion and, and decide when it makes sense to go above your rules. I like, I like that, that answer. Me too. That's, um, that's time though, folks. Listen to Bad Bunny, folks. Shit is hot. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, oh, this dude, is a he's awesome. He's pump. a Puerto Rican. Oh, Bad Bunny. Singer. I know Bad Bunny. I so can't I was... even understand him and I can't turn him off. Oh, it's it's intriguing. I was thinking stings bad, my ears. Bad Bobby. Nah, man. He's so... Remember that little Cash Me Outside? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cash Me Outside. How about yeah, that? Yeah, Bad Bunny's great. That's right. 